welcome along to the Property Academy Podcast. I'm your host, Edward Knight. And I'm Andrew Nichol. And today on the show, we're talking about the future of apartments. And it's more of a case study episode because we've got a situation from listener of the show, Suzanne. And she's got an interesting situation in which we're going to take you through. She said, hi there, I'll be really interested in a podcast about the future of apartments in Auckland CBD. So we own an apartment in Sugar Tree, which is a development kind of on the perimeter, if I can say that. I don't want to use the word outskirts, but the perimeter of Auckland Central. And they're one of the lucky ones who still have a tenant, but we have had to reduce the rent as there is an oversupply of units since COVID turned everything upside down. There's no more international students, no uni students. They're all doing online lectures, so the demand is no longer there. And as a result, it's not considered a lucrative investment. If we sell now, we might lose up to a hundred grand, a lot of money, on our initial investment. And I'm wondering whether our lender will expect a top up as our initial 20% deposit is falling short of the LVR requirements if evaluations indicated a drop in value. So it's very worrying times indeed for Suzanne. And she's looking for some advice or feedback to see what she should do in this situation. I think this is going to be a really nice case study for you guys in terms of how to go about analysing the situation and perhaps some of the things to think about because it's not a great situation if you're feeling this way about your investments. Let me ask you this, Andrew. Does this sound about right to you that there's a property that's been bought that might be 100k less than what, what Suzanne bought the property for? So it looks like this property was bought for about $649,000 back in May 2017. It's a one-bedroom apartment. I know that there are properties available there, brand new, for about that price for a two-bedroom apartment, I believe now. So yes, I do expect that probably there has been a drop in value because if you can buy a brand new one with more room, cheaper, you wouldn't pay the same money for this one here. And that's really interesting because what we're seeing in the data is that the values for apartments in Auckland CBD have actually risen, not a lot, but risen slightly over the last couple of years. And so it will be a little bit case by case about, well, whether an individual property investor's property has declined in value compared to the relative market. So I just want to talk to you first about the values for of apartments in Auckland CBD. And then Andrew's going to talk to you about the rents that are able to be achieved. So the house price index, the change in the Real Estate Institute of New Zealand house price index for apartments in Auckland CBD since February 2020 to today is only up, and this shocked me, Andrew, 4.38%. So apartment values in Auckland City are only up you know, less than 5% when the rest of the market, excluding apartments, went up 26% over yeah. the same period. So usually we would expect apartments to get less capital growth than other types of properties, but certainly this amount of difference is staggering. Yes. At only 5% compared to 26%. Big, big difference between the two. I've also looked at the sale prices of one-bedroom apartments specifically within Auckland Central, within the suburb, and I've also excluded any new builds from the analysis because they could have been signed up pre-COVID at, at higher prices, might not reflect the wider market. And although it has been quite volatile, I am seeing sale prices tick up slightly for one-bedroom apartments in Auckland Central. Again, I'm not trying to comfort you here, Suzanne, and tell you that's actually your property and, and what you're saying here hasn't actually happened, but that's the trend that I'm still seeing. So if I'm thinking about the long-term prospects of a one-bedroom apartment in Auckland CBD, over the long term, I would expect there to still be some natural appreciation, slower than the rest of the market. But I'm not trying to tell you, Suzanne, that 
in your situation, you know, your property's gone up in value when perhaps it hasn't, as Andrew said. But I'd feel quite comfortable about the long-term prospects of that, given some of the other things we're going to talk about in this scenario. But talk to us about the rents for Auckland City Apartments, because this is where it gets really interesting, Andrew. Now, interest.co.nz has reported a $60 per week drop between May 2020 and October 2020. So big, big drop. And that's 11%. Now, also, we've got the data from One Roof, which does exclude any data from 2020. But in quarter one of 2019, the median rent was $463. Next quarter, it goes to 453 Quarter three, it stays at 453. Quarter one of 2021, again, we didn't have the 2020 data, is 14. So quite a big drop. And quarter two, 2021, 405. So it's definitely trending downwards. And how far that goes down and when that starts to recover, I guess is going to be dependent on when Airbnbs suddenly go back onto the market and become a popular thing again. And this specifically is talking about one bedroom data in that instance. And one of the things that I want to talk about is just, you know, let's get into this context and go deep on this specific situation, which is the sugar tree apartments. I wanted to understand, well, how many are currently on the market right right now and how much does the stock represent in the actual market? So in total, I'm counting 28 properties that are currently on the market for Sugar Tree. The one beds are renting somewhere between 450 and 550. And actually, it's quite interesting. Some of the two beds are renting around the $500 mark. So I did wonder whether some of the properties that are currently being advertised for rent may be a bit of wishful thinking. Now, to be honest with you, Suzanne, the total number of properties there that are renting, 28 in total, wouldn't usually worry me too much because for context, over the last six months, there have been an average of 858 one-bedroom apartments renting per month in Auckland Central. So, you know, just to go over that again, there are 858 one-bedroom apartments that are renting per month just within Auckland Central. Now, of course, there are a lot of, you know, one-bedroom apartments. There are a lot of apartments in general, but there is enough turnover to absorb those 28 apartments as long as they are being rented for an attractive price. So I think that's the key thing to note. It's it's not whether I'm able to get a tenant, but am I able to find one at a price that I'm happy with in that specific situation? But let me ask you this, Andrew, come back to kind of probably the thing that's worrying who the most is the bank likely to ask you to put more equity in the property to bring that LVR down? No, not unless you trigger a credit review, which is if you buy another property and they say, okay, well, actually, there's not enough equity in this now. You're going to need to top that up before we lend your money on another property. If you just keep this property and you keep it with the bank, you're probably going to be okay. And if you sell it, then probably they're going to ask you to pay back the, I mean, 80% loan anyway. So you've probably used other equity to be able to buy that property. So you're probably going to be okay, but you are going to be left with some of that debt. Alternative strategies here, you could sell so you could get rid of the property, rip that band-aid off. You could continue to rent and just hold the property and see out this market for a correction. Or the alternative is to find short-term rental accommodation solutions like Airbnb. And if you go down this route, maybe start thinking about considering tenants that same for weeks at a time. So there is a lot of business travel and stuff like that, that whilst we're not getting the overseas people at the same rate as we were before, if you did something where you just had you know people staying for business and they say for a month at a time while they're working on a project, in Auckland, that could be something that would give you some stability in terms of that income coming in, but also give you a higher rent than a normal rental return. 
And I know back in October, we did a webinar where Scotty was talking about a property, one of these in Sugar Tree. It might not have been in your exact building, but certainly in the same vicinity, where I believe the strategy was that they were only allowing people to book directly and have their booking on Airbnb approved automatically if they were booking for at least four weeks at a time. And so the strategy was to have big, long periods where the property was available for a long time because then people who want to stay for for, you know, a couple of weeks at a time would be able to get the availability in that specific calendar. I know had really, really good occupancy even during COVID times. So uh, this may not be the golden solution for you, the silver bullet, but it might be something to think about. And let me ask you this, Andrew, how would you attack this question about whether this property is worth holding or not? Let's assume that you're going to lose money through cash flow and you're losing money through capital growth. So Yes, I probably would say if this is going to be the opportunity cost to doing something else, then I would definitely get rid of it and move on to something else. Don't let this put you off property investment. This is just a bit of an unlucky timing situation and I would sell and replace it. But the question is, is the pain you've got to go through to hold that property to get that gain back worth holding it. So again, if it's holding you back from investing in something else because it's affecting your LVR or it's affecting your cash flow, then okay, just cut it loose and lose 100k. But yeah. I guess over time, that property is probably going to return to the original price and, and then go up at some stage. It's just how long it's going to take. And do you have a reasonable expectation that rents are going to follow suit? And I think that when COVID has died down to a greater extent and it could be 2023 and people are traveling internationally a lot more. There will be properties taken off that normal rental market and put back on the Airbnb market in inner city Auckland and the rents will go up and the values will go up again. It's just whether or not this is going to hold you back in the meantime. And if you can afford both from a financial standpoint and a mental standpoint, holding on to that, then you could consider that as well. I certainly think one of the big things that you've got to weigh up is about crystallizing those losses. So if you sell that property now, and let's say that it's worth 550 at the moment and you paid 650 for it, you've lost 100k of equity because if you're on an interest-only mortgage, your mortgage is going to be the same, but you're selling the property for 100k less than you've got to pay some real estate agent fees, which would be a very unfortunate situation. That would be what we call crystallising your losses because those losses now become real. At the moment, while you're holding that property, you still own the asset, so the loss is only on paper. But if you hold it and it recovers back to, say, 700k at some point in the future over a couple of years and that rent starts to go up, then you will have made that 50k back. Now you've got to make a judgment call of what you think is going to happen to the prices and whether there is any reasonable expectation of international students coming back, which I'll talk about in a moment. But that's what you have to up. And the other thing is if you crystallize those losses and you lose the 100k of equity, which would hurt a lot, you've got to weigh up are you actually going to be in the position to then have enough deposit to go and purchase the next property? Because you may or you may not, you may be reliant on having that 100k of equity in there to be able to do that. Now, let's say that she's got a 650k mortgage against this property, borrowed 100%, it's worth 550. If she sells that property for 550, and let's call that net of real estate agents fees, so she actually gets that back. She pays back 550k to the bank, and she's still got a 100k loan. What happens in that instance? You just pay that back. That becomes part of your personal debt. God, that's pretty tough, eh? Yeah, it does. That would hurt you. It's a hard pill to swallow, but sometimes doing that is the right thing to do. So we had a question on the webinar the other day, whether or not Wilson's Road is sold. I can tell you, as of today, Wilson's Road is now sold. 
That's and positive. I made some money out of it, but I probably didn't make as much money as if I had to sold that five years ago and put that money into other investments. Well, let me ask you this, Andrew. Let's say that you yourself owned a property in Auckland in this same situation. And of course, your situation is going to be different from Suzanne's. What would you do? Would you hold it or would you sell it? I'd probably, if I had enough equity to carry on investing, I'd just carry on investing and I'd probably wait for the market to correct. But if it was going to be a cash flow drain, and then bear in mind this is with a good amount of equity, good amount of income. So I'm not the standard case study that we'd use. If I had limited income, limited equity, I'd get rid of it and I'd reinvest. Yeah, my gut feel, if it was me, is I'd be holding on to it. But that could also be emotional reasons because yeah, yeah. that would be such it's hard. It's really pills. hard sometimes to bite the bullet and let go, particularly if it's going to cost us. But it really comes down to individual circumstances there. Now, what I've also got is, well, what about this lack of tenants? Is it a long-term issue or is it a short-term issue? And that's the big thing. And one of the interesting things I found researching for this episode, it was an article from The Economist, which I read, Quite a while ago. Are you, are you on commission for these guys, mate? I love The Economist I so know, much. I know, I know. I listen are. to every podcast. I just, I mean, and it's it's really current affairs. It's not nerdy stuff. Everybody should listen to them. It's just <laughs> wonderful. And You're going to give up their listening time in the gym to listen to The Economist. Do you know what you're doing? Well, do you know what the funny thing is? I just said it's not nerdy at all. They talk about current affairs. Yeah, yeah I know. <laughs> you're yeah. not the barometer for nude. No. Now, the interesting thing is that foreign enrolment, so foreign students in Britain are actually up since the pandemic. Now, I don't have New Zealand data. Of course, we know that there are many fewer foreign students here in New Zealand. But what I wanted to get a sense of is, are there other countries that are seeing enrolment still hold up if they've handled it a bit differently? And what we've seen is that ever since 2017, the British government has been encouraging international students to enter into Great Britain, and they've positioned themselves a bit differently than alternatives. So Australia is like us. Their numbers are way down in terms of foreign students because we don't have the borders open. But those foreign students are then going to the likes of Britain. And ever since 2016, where there was a change of presidency in the US, we've seen that foreign students have declined fewest foreign students are going into the United States and they're going elsewhere. So that's been positive for the British market. And certainly what that tells me is that there is still a lot of demand out there for international education from foreign students, particularly from the likes of China, India, and some other Asian countries. So the demand is still there. It's about whether these students are able to get into the country, and it's also about whether these students have the confidence within that country as well. My gut feel is that if we opened up our borders, we would have foreign students coming here as we had before. Absolutely. If not more than previously because, you know, people that were going to go to Australia where, again, COVID has kind of relaunched, I think New Zealand is known as the safe haven. But I think what this comes down to is not whether there is foreign demand for international education, but rather whether the government, and I'm talking about the New Zealand government now, has a plan to be able to reopen those borders. And look, right now, the day that we're recording this, it looks even more uncertain than ever. We have had Australia come out with a plan for reopening their borders and reopening their economy. We haven't seen that in New Zealand yet. We don't know when we expect that to happen. And certainly one of the things that is really concerning me about this in terms of this situation here, Suzanne, is that we have not seen vaccinations being rolled out at a rapid speed. We are one of the slowest in the OECD. And so that does concern me in terms of when we are actually going to reopen. Now, remember the latest 
Treasury and Reserve Bank forecasts are based on the fact that we will see a partial reopening in January, February 2022. Now, that's an economic forecast, not a political forecast. So we can't necessarily look at that and say, oh, that's when the borders are going to open. But look, I think we'll probably see some good reopening within 2022. We'd expect that if you can hold on till then, we may see uh, some of that partial reopening, more foreign students coming in, and then a greater demand for properties and apartments, people to live within these. So I guess it really comes down to, are you able to hold on or is this causing you a real cash flow, real equity issue? Is it stopping you from doing some other things? And then what are your expectations about the future in the apartment market, both in terms of capital growth and then rents? And yeah, because of the time that it was purchased, it too is going to be captured probably as an old build. And so there's going to be some tax liability on this going forward as well, because obviously you've got a mortgage there that you're paying interest on. If you do want some actual advice just for you, Susan, you can email me, andrew at opuspartners.co.nz and give me a bit more of a rundown. I'll actually have a look at it for you. It's just looking at me because I'm making myself more jobs, but, but I feel no, a no, no. You. No, what I'm saying is that's not an invitation to, to, the, to oh, yeah, the, no, no, no. The this, thousands this is, of your people. Your name has to be Susan and you have to have a sugar tree apartment. And it has to be spelt in this specific way. We're not going to tell you how it's spelled. <laughs> no, that'd be great. I'm sure Suzanne would really appreciate that as well, Andrew. That is an invitation to the thousands of people listening to the show to um, all email Andrew for some free advice, though, just to be clear. And I do think this is a good case study to kind of go through where property investment can go wrong and that it's not risk-free and that we all do need to be aware of what we might potentially be signing up for when we get into investment properties. Hey, look, let's wrap it up there, but please don't forget to rate, review and subscribe to the podcast. And on that down note, tomorrow's show is going to be about, should I become a developer? And this is going to be talking about how Andrew is now getting into developments and we're going to talk about that transition from investing to developing. It's going to be a really interesting episode. And of course, do not forget, tomorrow night is the night that the deal goes live. Wow, the website's going to crash. It's going to be available on thedeal.co. You're going to be able to go there. Go there now and put in your email address to be notified when it officially goes live. But Wednesday night is the night, 21st of July, thedeal.co. First episode is going live. Thanks for listening to the Property Academy podcast. I'm your host, Epic Knight. And I'm Andrew Nicholl. And we're going to be back again tomorrow with even more daily strategies, tactics and insights to help you get the most out of the New Zealand property market. Until next time. 